Grace, how we doing this morning? Anybody else, is that song just kind of wrecking you right now? I mean, I was getting all Pentecostal up in the back of the worship center this morning. Holy cow, that was an amazing song. Thanks to our worship team for leading us in such a powerful way. And I need to let you know, I'm ready to preach this morning. When I show up in a hoodie, like I'm ready to preach. So I'm excited for this morning. I want to be sharing with you. I want to say really quick, though, welcome to all of you in this room. Welcome to those watching online. I also want to welcome those that are first-time guests with us today. If you're not in a hurry, I really would love, it'd be an honor to me, honestly, to get to meet you personally. I'm going to be out at Next Step, so if you're not in a hurry, just come by, introduce yourself, let me introduce myself, and I'd really appreciate that. Well, last week we kicked off this series that we're going to be in for several weeks called Lines, and I introduced some new language to you that I really do hope is finding its way into your conversations. Conversations about your occupation, about parenting, about dating, maybe alcohol consumption, or whether or not you should be an Aaron Rodgers fan, right? All good things, because what I'm talking about, we introduced this, this idea of DTL. We need to DTL, which means define the line. That there are areas in our life that we definitely need to define some lines in, because here's the truth, ready? Lines that aren't defined are the easiest ones to cross, Lines that are not defined are the easiest ones to cross. And I know this by experience, because I can assure you throughout my life, I have crossed many lines. And it was from me finding out over here that there was probably a good reason why that line was in place, because I didn't find more life over here. Oftentimes, I lost more hope. And so I don't think that, like, depending on how long you've been coming to church, maybe you process through this differently. Maybe you're brand new to all this. You're brand new to all of Christianity. And you're like, well, what, what are those lines? And why, why did God feel it necessary to put those lines in place? And without getting too much into the weeds too quickly, because I promise you we're going to unpack a lot today, I would tell you that the reason that those lines are in place were directly motivated by God's love for you. The reason why those lines are in place that God doesn't want us to cross is not because he wants to keep us from experiencing like a fuller form of life over here. No, he's put those lines in place because over here he has been motivated by love, which is exactly what I want to talk to us about today. Now, the verse that we have been using that we're going to continue to use throughout this series is in Romans chapter 12. And again, this is going to be kind of the the quintessential verse for us throughout this entire series that we're going to come back to. And Paul, I believe, defines some lines in this verse better than potentially any other place in the New Testament. He says this. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Just a reminder that our bodies are not our own, that they should be given over for however God wants to use them. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So what do we know? What do we know? We know that we can't expect clarity in our calling. We can't expect clarity when it comes to the purpose that God has for us if we're conforming to the pattern of this world. We can't expect transformation in our thoughts if we're allowing this world to train how we think. And I want to be clear about something because 
This is a perpetuating problem. In other words, when we do conform to the pattern of this world, then we can't stand in the promise that our mind and our thoughts are going to be transformed. And so when we conform to the pattern of this world, what we had to do to probably conform to the pattern of this world is stiff-arm the Holy Spirit. And so now our heart is becoming more hardened to the way and the purposes that God has for us, causing us to not be able to see clear his purpose for our life, his purpose for our relationships, his purpose in our parenting. And so you can see really quickly how this problem would have a tendency to perpetuate itself because the more that we conform, the more that we have confusion. And the less clear it is to know the life that God has called us to. And once again, just to be clear, God's motivation, God's motivation for putting some of these lines in place wasn't, wasn't out of a motivation to keep us from having fun it was out of a motivation of his love for us. So today what I want to talk about is how love defines lines. And your first reaction could potentially be to that, whoa, 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 hold on a second, because I didn't think love had lines. I thought love was unconditional. unconditional. I thought love came with no strings attached, and I would say you're absolutely right when it comes to God extending his love to us. Right through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we've all been given this free gift. It didn't come cheap because it cost Jesus his life, but we've been given this gift. He's lavished his love on us. All we have to do is put our faith and trust in Jesus. So you're absolutely right, but that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that love doesn't define lines. And some of you get this. And the reason you get this already is because you have been put in some specific scenarios throughout your life where you have had to make some really tough calls. And those tough calls, like to the outside perspective, to the outside person looking in, it would seem as if it was very unloving, but you know because of this, the decisions you had to make in those really unique circumstances that you know that those things were actually motivated by love, they just don't seem loving at all. Two great examples of this would revolve around the areas of abuse and addiction. When we're in situations where abuse and addiction are front and center, sometimes we have to make really hard decisions. And I've walked so many families through particular scenarios that revolved around those two subjects. And as I'm giving them some encouragement and as I'm giving them some input on what I think they should do, it seems unloving. But as we kind of pull back the layers of that, we start to see that it's probably the most loving thing that they can actually do. As you can imagine, all of this can become very subjective from one situation to the next, right? Are we loving or are we enabling? Are we loving or are we compromising? Are we loving or are we pursuing a personal preference? And I think we could all agree that we have a tendency to probably throw around this word love very loosely, right? Which causes us to maybe not necessarily see with clarity on what it is at times and what it isn't. I mean, personally, I could tell you I love to fish. I love coffee, ice cream. I love it when somebody says yes to Jesus. I love when Tom Brady loses. I love the beach. Go Saints. I love the beach. I love my kids. I love the smell of coffee when I wake up in the morning and all God's people said, I love my wife. I love college football. Maybe you can start to see quickly how this word love has been used so flippantly that at times we may not be entirely sure 
how it's defined. This past week, I actually heard a quote on how love could be defined, and rumor has it, and I don't know if this is true, that this statement came from a kid, but when asked, hey, how do you know if someone loves you, this kid said this, I think it was a kid, you know, one, you know that someone loves you when, when your name is safe in their mouth. Think about it. You know someone loves you when your name is safe in their mouth, because you don't have to worry about if they're saying anything destructive or damaging or unloving about you. So all of this, listen to me, all of this begs the question, what is the best definition of love? And as followers of Jesus, we need to take that a step further because it's not just love. Like we need to make sure that our love is being informed by God's love because there is no other love than the love that comes from God. And so as followers of Jesus, we need to make sure that the way that we're loving people is being informed by God's example of the love that he has shown us. And lucky for us, the Apostle John speaks to this very subject with clarity. So let me read to you from 1 John chapter 4. John says this. He says, Dear friends, let us love for one another, for love comes from God. Actually, this is Jesus. He's quoting Jesus. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. In other words, when we have been born of God, we have received God, then that's the only way that we can actually love without being received by God by putting our faith and trust through Jesus. We actually cannot love because love doesn't exist outside of God. In verse 8, he continues, whoever does not love, I'm sorry, whoever does not love, yes, does not know God because God is love. And this is how God showed his love. So there's an action behind it. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world, ready, that we might live through him. Can I pause there for a second? This really has not a lot to do with my sermon, but when I read that, for whatever reason, I've probably read this hundreds of times, but it just stood out to me this time, that we might live through him. Man, would there be benefit, would there be value for us to remove all kinds of the language that we associate with our faith, potentially even the word Christian, and then maybe even the different ways we've described ourselves, Pentecostal, Methodist, Baptist, Catholic, and what if we just said, man, when somebody asks us, hey, what, are you, what, are you, what do you believe? I'm trying to live through Jesus. I'm trying to live through Jesus. Think how much further that conversation with, would get if we didn't just throw this title, this label of what we believe and what we do, instead of we just said, no, I'm just trying to live through Jesus. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins, which means love sacrifices personal preference for a greater good. Can I say it again? Love that only comes from God and doesn't exist outside of him sacrifices personal preference for a greater good. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, right? And we're living through that. God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Now, stay with me. I'm going to jump over to John's gospel in chapter 1. 
He says this, yet to all who did receive him, right? So for those of us that have chosen to love, the only way that we can actually even choose to love is if we've been received by God. So for those of us who have received him, to those who have believed in his name, he has given the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. In, in, in other words, we have stepped into a greater purpose. We have stepped into higher levels of calling, and then John says this, and if you know who we are, you know this is, a, this is the a backbone of this church because Trey stands for truth and grace put together. He says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Let me wrap all that up with these statements. What do we know? That God is love. And we know that that love was demonstrated by God by sending Jesus into this world so that we could live through him. And by living through him, we're sacrificing our way for his way. And we show his love and we live through Jesus by being full of grace and truth. Did you catch all that? Because if you didn't... <laughs> Here's the most succinct way that I could tell you how to define God's complete love. It's the fullness of grace plus the fullness of truth. Which means when love lacks grace, it's incomplete. If love lacks truth, it's incomplete. And we would all be able to explain what God's grace is, right? God's grace is his unmerited favor that has been given to you, which means you don't have to do anything to deserve God's love. That if you'll put your faith and trust in Jesus today, even for someone in here today that has never made this decision, today you don't have to go out those doors and go figure some things out in your life. No, he says, right now, just as you are, I will extend my grace to you because I love you that much and your sins can be forgiven and you will be You'll be given the gift of eternal life. That is the grace of God. Go ahead and jump back to that slide for me. But what is truth? I mean, that is really the question today, isn't it? What is truth? It's become so subjective, or at least people have claimed that it's become so subjective. Have you ever had somebody look at you after you've tried to establish some truth in, your, in their life, maybe some biblical truth, and they look at you and they may say something like, well, I'm glad that that's your truth. You ever want to smack them in the name of Jesus? Like in the name of Jesus. Just a little slap. Nothing hard. Just a little bit. I promise you, truth is incredibly clear. You know what truth is? It's Jesus. Don't take my word for it. Take his. In John 14, Jesus said, I'm the way and the what? I'm the way. That's why you live through me. I'm the truth. And I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except what? Through me. So when we don't follow his way, that means we've deviated from his truth. And we land in a life that isn't transformed trace of Jesus is the truth, and we don't live through that truth, not only are we living in lies, 
but we have lost what it means to love. The way of Jesus is to step into chaos and try to bring about order, to step into darkness and try to bring about light. But if we don't begin with an accurate understanding of God's love, then we are left to our own interpretation of how that should look in any given situation. And listen to me, way too many Christians, I don't even want to talk about the secular world, way too many Christians are determining for themselves what love should look like leading them to cross lines that it should have been clearly defined if we were full of both grace and truth. As you might be able to imagine, uh, my position at times affords me some opportunities to talk to people about this very thing and to even challenge them on how they are attempting to love people. And it's not uncommon that if I'm entering entering in this tension with some people that uh, at times, oftentimes, it's relational, it's relational in its nature. In other words, it could be kind of a parent-to-child uh, relationship. It could be a dating relationship. It could be a marriage relationship, and it could be uh, how someone maybe is choosing to love a friend in any given situation. And on the other end of my challenge at times, encouragement and challenge, I think that you have to have both of those when you're going to lead that you need to have a well balance of encouragement, but also accountability and challenging. And so in my attempt to challenge them, sometimes what I receive from that person that I'm challenging is something to the extent of, well, you know, I hear what you're saying, but I think I'm just going to choose to love. Or maybe if I'm talking to a couple, yeah, yeah, we, we know where you're coming from, but I think we're just going to choose to love. And my first response is, great, me too. So let's make sure we're defining love the same way. More importantly, let's make sure we're defining love in the most biblical way that we know how. Because nobody gets the right. Nobody gets the right other than God to define what love is and what it isn't. Which reminds me of something that Paul says, excuse me, right after the verse that we read in Romans just a few moments ago, when he says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. And then he jumps right into this. Because of the privilege and authority that God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think that you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. In other words, guys, don't think that you're wiser, that you're smarter, and that you're more clever than you really are, that you somehow have landed on the most accurate definition of God's love and how to extend that love and how to show that love without a strong biblical framework. Trace, if it was left to each of us to define the line of love, I think most of us would have to admit that we would define it in a way that would serve our agenda. So can I ask you a question that I'd love for you to be honest with yourself about today? Does that represent you at all? In any area, in any arena of life, are you defining love potentially in a way that is serving your agenda and nothing else? And let's even the playing field, okay? Let's even the playing field. This is not a guilt trip show. Let's even the playing field. At some point throughout each of our lives, we would all have to admit that we've probably tried to define love in ways for our own personal convenience. 
We've defined a lot of things maybe in certain ways that allowed us to pursue our own personal desires. Which is why, if you ask me, it is such a blessing. It is such a blessing that God has defined so many lines for us. And unfortunately, it took many of us crossing those lines, didn't it? It took many of us crossing those lines to see that it's not better over there. It took many of us crossing these lines that God clearly defined. It took us getting over here to see it's not better over here. It's not better over here. For If anything, I'm experiencing a lot more discouragement over here. Maybe there was some pleasure in the process of crossing that line, right? If sin isn't fun, you're probably doing it wrong. You've said that before. When we crossed that line, we thought, hey, I'm probably going to gain something, right? That's why the enticement was so rich. And so we find ourselves on the other side of the line. And when we get over here and we stay for long enough, we start to sense that this is not a better place to live. I wasn't missing out on life. And if anything, I'm experiencing more destructive behavior and I'm experiencing more discouragement and damage in my life because I decided to cross that line. And listen to me, maybe this is just for that one person in here today that maybe you walked in those doors and you're new to all of this. Like there's so much to what I've maybe even said today that you're not even sure about because you don't have any context for it. Maybe you're brand new to this whole church thing, to this whole Jesus thing. And so if I can just talk to you for one moment, excuse me, this is what I would say. God didn't define a clear line around sex and marriage and salvation and how to live out our faith because he didn't want us to have any fun. He defined those lines for us because he loves us. And he defined that line for you because he loves you. And he really does know what's best for you and me. I want to illustrate this by talking about something that I haven't talked a whole lot about in this church. I'm going to talk about abortion for a second. And I'm going to preface what I'm going to say with this. And some of you may feel like I don't need to say this, but I feel like I do. If you're in here today, and my guess is with as many people are in here, there's a good chance that somebody in here maybe has had an abortion. And if you're new to this church, um, or you've been coming for a while, I want to let you know that um, you don't need to carry that shame. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus, He took that shame away from you. And the things that I'm about to say in abortion, I'm not going to like mince my words. But I want to let you know that I can't imagine how painful that was and has been. And so if you ever want to process through that pain, you're not going to find any condemnation in this church. And if you did, I would send that person out the door a lot quicker than I would send you out the door. Not that I'd send you at all. But this is not going to be a place of condemnation, period. And so if you ever want to process through that pain and that particular decision, look at me. I'm available. I'm available. And I'm the last person that will judge you. Okay, so I want to preface with that. But here's what I want to say. When Roe versus Wade was passed in 1973, there was no sonogram that allowed us to see our babies smile at us before they were born. But now we can see that as early as eight weeks, babies will suck their thumb They will respond to sound, and there's growing evidence that they're actually dreaming. 
They will also recoil from pain when doctors need to draw blood. At around 8 to 10 weeks, you can watch a baby pull away because at that point, all major organs are functioning and it hurts. And you can watch these babies on a sonogram pull away from the needle because it hurts. By 21 weeks, babies with just a little bit of help can live outside of the womb. Yet over, don't miss this, over half of the states in the United States of America, over half of the states allow for abortions to take place after that 21-week period. And over the last five years in America, there have been nearly a million abortions per year committed in which a lot of them were done after that 21-week period. And maybe some of you, depending on where you're coming from, well, Aaron, yeah, but what about this and what about that? And it could be, you know, different scenarios at times where there was rape and there was incest. And I know there are unique circumstances and I know some things happen. I'm not going to get into the weeds of that because what I want to stay focused on is the mass majority of those abortions were done out of convenience. Who gets to draw that line? Who gets to define that line? Who gets to define the line when it's no longer loving, right? Because I think we would all agree that when a baby comes out of the womb at around 40 weeks, we would say, of course, we're not going to kill that baby. That would be what? Unloving. Okay, so let's go a week back into the womb. 39 weeks? Let's just jump nine weeks sooner. 30 weeks? Is that... Like, at what point do we define the line of when it's no longer a loving thing to do? Who gets to define that line? Here's the point that I'm trying to make. When in left to our own devices, we will often draw the line at the lowest common denominator for the sake of personal preference. And as followers of Jesus, that's not a priority for us. That's not what we signed up for. We don't draw lines at the lowest common denominator. If anything, does anybody else agree with me this morning that we need to raise the bar? That we need to define the line at a much higher level? Let me give you another example. Sometimes people will come and they'll want to serve uh, in our children's ministry. And we love that. And if you're not serving in our children's ministry, go serve in our children's ministry. But there is a process in which we take people through. And sometimes when people go through that process, some things will come up, and I'm not going to get into specifics, but some things will come up that keep us from allowing them to serve in our children's ministry. And I want to be clear about this. Everybody draws lines. And so one of the things that I'll do is if somebody gets frustrated about a line that we've drawn, and let's say they're not able to serve in our kids' ministry because of a line that we have drawn, because we're not drawing, drawing the line for the lowest common denominator. We're raising the bar because we want you to lead from a place of experience, wisdom, and faith, and things that you're, you're personally following through on who Jesus has called you to be, because then you get to speak that into our kids' lives. And so what happens is somebody may end up in my office, and they're like, well, I don't, I don't think that's good. I think that you're drawing lines of legalism. And if you're new to all this, legalism is, is the, the quickest definition I could give you. It's telling you, it's like behavioral modification. Well, you have to act this way, you have to behave this way to be a good Christian. I don't want anything to do with that. The reason we draw the line way up here is because of leadership, because you can't lead where you haven't been. And so we want you to be able to lead our kids in a way that you're actually calling them up, not drawing a line at the lowest common denominator. And so we want you to call our kids up. We want you to be able to speak out of a place of experience, wisdom. And then oftentimes, <clears throat> if I need to, I'll show people that everybody draws a line. 
And I'll say something that sounds really crazy at first, just to kind of bring us in and kind of make sure that we're all focusing on the same thing. So I'll do it with you today. Would you be okay if someone who was looking at any inappropriate pictures of kids, we'll leave it at that because there's some kids in here, inappropriate pictures of kids, would you be okay if we let them serve in our kids' ministry? Well, no. Okay, just to be clear, you just drew a line. You just, you just drew a line. What if somebody came to us and said, hey, I was unfortunately messed up about 20 years ago and uh, some sexual abuse took place and I was at fault, but I'm a new person now and I'm, I'm different. Would you be okay if they served in our kids' ministry? And people start to, well, pr- probably not. Yeah, we, we would agree because if there's any history of that, we would never subject our kids to that. doesn't mean we don't love that person. We want to walk them through the process of healing, but we wouldn't let them serve in our kids' ministry. What if, what if there's a couple that's not married that's living together and they're somewhat outspoken about their intimate relationship? And then it gets quiet. Friends, as followers of Jesus, we have to stop drawing lines at the lowest common denominator. And we have to call people up. And yes, we have to do this through both grace and truth, because grace without truth gives you license to sin. Truth without grace is just mean. And so when we represent the fullness of both of these, we should be drawing lines, definitive lines up here of how we're being informed by God's love as we're attempting to live through Jesus, through his truth and through his grace and calling people up to something greater because I can assure you that God's purpose for you is so much higher than what this world is trying to train your thoughts to to resolve to. So Trey says, your pastor... I'm calling you up. I'm calling you to stop defining lines with the lowest common denominator, whatever that may be. And as a church, you can know that we're maybe, not maybe, I know we won't get this right every time, but we will do our best to make sure that every line that we define is informed by God's love, which means it's full of grace and truth. So, Let me end with this, very practical way to end this. I'm going to ask you some questions, and I would encourage you to maybe use some time this week to process and wrestle through this, maybe with a small group, maybe with your family, maybe uh, in a relationship. And here's question number one. Are the lines that you have drawn for your own convenience? Are there any lines in your life that you have drawn for your own convenience? Number two. Is there an area of your life where love isn't representing the fullness of grace and truth? And which one? If you've been coming around to Trace for any amount of time, you know that I have preached on the subject of grace and truth a lot and have um, shown us that all of us lean in one direction, right? And sometimes we pride ourselves in one of those camps where it's like, yeah, I'm a grace person or I'm a truth person when Jesus came full of both. And so we don't want to side. It's not about being in one camp or the other. It's about being full of both, And so is there an area of your life that doesn't represent the fullness of one of those areas more than the other? Last question. How would your life benefit? Like, how would your faith, how would your life and your faith grow if you learned to love like this? If you learned to live through Jesus, 
and doing your best, and we're messed up at it, but doing your best to represent the fullness of his grace and truth and how you love. My bet is if we can figure that out, we're going to call the people around us up. Let me pray. Father God, I pray that something that I said today that hopefully was motivated by you is seared in the hearts and minds of the person that needed to hear it the most. God, that we wouldn't dismiss this and that we would also see our fallibility in it, that we would see how quickly when left to our own devices that we will err on whatever side helps to promote our agenda or our comfort or our convenience. It's just not okay. So God, I pray that you would help us to see what it looks like to love in such a way where we're always representing the fullness of grace and truth. And that we don't side on one or the other, that we don't just back down and start drawing lines for the lowest common denominator, but that God, that we would just step up. That we would know that you've called us to something so much greater than what this world is trying to train us in. You've called us to something so much more wonderful, more purposeful, than what we often experience around us. Let us not conform to that pattern, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.